Hey, <laughs> Southside Church, how y'all doing this morning? Man, it's so great to be here, and I was trying not to make too much noise. It's been a crazy morning. I almost tripped off the first step this morning. I spilled water in the first service down the front of my shirt. I was underneath the hand dryer in the back. So it's been really crazy. Nothing crazy's happened yet, but it may come in a few minutes. Hey, if you didn't notice from my introduction, like I said, y'all, and that means I'm not from around these parts. I'm from North Carolina, and uh, when I moved to North Carolina, I swore I'd never be southernized. I was like, I'm not going to use any of those phrases like reckon and holler and um, they use this word cattywampus so if they're looking at something they might look at that pipe and drape and say that looks a little cattywampus it means it's not quite straight or out of line but this one phrase y'all it kind of stuck with me and uh, it warms you over time it's like the plural of you like you look at so, look at a group of people and you say y'all how about it you guys try it with me y'all yeah, that's pretty good. I don't think it's gonna stick here in Canada, but, but if you ever go to the South, you can fit right in by saying y'all. Uh, man, I'm so excited to be here at Southside and Mike and Corinne are away this week getting some much deserved rest. And, and the great thing that I love about them getting rest is not only that I care about them and they need it, but I get the opportunity to come and spend time with my favorite church. I really love coming here to Southside, seeing all the cool things that are happening. God's always on the move in this community and in this church, which is awesome. And, um, and so uh, I've been tracking along in this uh, message series about Samuel. It's been really cool to uh, follow along the story of Samuel. There's a lot of things that God does in Samuel's life and the people around Samuel. And so as you look at that, there's a lot of application that can happen in our own lives. And probably one of my favorite messages that I've heard in a long time and my favorite message I've heard here at Southside was a couple of weeks ago when Mike used this phrase, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember that message? If you weren't here that week, you have to go back a couple of weeks and listen to it. But I was like, it's amazing. It's basically talking about this group of people who saw that off the coast, there were ships that were breaking up in the ocean and there were people that were drowning, perishing uh, because they couldn't get to shore. And these people not only saw the opportunity, but took the responsibility to say, we're gonna go out and save them because human life matters. And uh, when I thought about that, I was like, oh my gosh, you know what I love about that message? is that fits Southside Church. To me, that's the rally cry of this church and the community and the world around it. Like every single week, there are people that show up here before the sun comes out and they're unloading trailers and they're putting things in their place and all these chairs get put out with all the flyers and the pencils and the production team shows up and hooks up all the wires and so that you can have this great worship experience. And, and I was just back in children's ministry. Do you know there's a bounce house back there? It's like ridiculous. These kids are doing backflips off the top of that thing. I think they're crawling on parts they're not supposed to be crawling on, but it's like they're having a ton of fun. And uh, there's all these volunteers that are just caring and loving on uh, the kids. It's not really childcare. It, it really is that they're caring for them, loving on those kids. And so there's people every single day that are laying it on the line. They not only see the opportunity to share the love of Christ with other people, but they see the responsibility that they have to go out and share God's love with other people. There are people that every single week give sacrificially, financially to the ministry so that we can care for more people and we can reach more people um, along the way. And so that 
that you have to go out, but you don't have to come back is something that I, that I see at Southside every time that I'm here. And so when I show up and you have this cool little thing called four and I hear you're launching a four service, it makes sense to me. There's more people to reach. There are people that won't come to these first three services that could come to the next services. There are seats that we can open up by going to the fourth service that allow people to come and fill in in another service. Because sometimes when people enter a room that's about 80% full, it's hard for them to feel comfortable. They feel a little anxious around big crowds and Southside's becoming a really big church. And that's great because there's a lot of more people to reach and there's a lot of us to help go reach them. So I can't wait to see that board in the back lit up where people are sitting in the service and serving in the service along the way. <clears throat> um, hey, the other thing about Samuel that's been really interesting to me if you look at the life of Samuel, he had all kinds of different relationships. He, uh, he had his relationship with his mom. Hannah prayed for, for uh, Samuel to come for a long time. He had a relationship with his dad, Elkanah. Uh, Elkanah was married to another lady. <clears throat> and so I guess technically Samuel had a stepmom and stepbrothers and sisters. And, and then he went to work for, um, in ministry and there's this priest that he became close with and he had that relationship. And later on, we see that Samuel has relationships with other people, including his own family. Um, having his own family along the way. And so when you look at the story of Samuel, there's all kinds of relationships that really mirror much like the relationships that we have in our lives today. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're gonna take this idea of relationships. We're gonna kind of springboard from Samuel and we're gonna look through God's word and say, hey, what is, what is it that God has in store for all of our relationships? What should they look like? How, how should our relationships mirror God's love towards us so that we have healthy relationships with other people? And that sometimes oftentimes can be a challenge, right? So before we get started, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be here with the Southside family. Thank you for this group of people who are gathered together today. God, I'm thankful for a church that always has room for more people, creates more room for people, lays it on the line, goes out, Lord, to reach more people. And so God, we pray that you would use their sacrifice, their heart, their time, their talent, their treasure to uh, reach the Chilliwack community and beyond for you, Jesus. God, today we are gonna dive into relationships and Lord, there's some places in there where it'll be soft in our hearts. There's some relationships that are hard for us and as we even begin to mention the word relationship or difficult relationships, Lord, there is anxiety that comes up. There's anger, there's bitterness that might come up. And so God, I just pray for the next few minutes that you would settle and calm our hearts. God, that no matter what happened uh, this morning or what's happened this week, Lord, that there just be a space where peace would just brush over this room, that you would allow us the opportunity to remove distractions and focus on the things that you want us to hear today, God. God, I'm just grateful for how loving and kind you are and gentle you are. And Lord, there's places in our lives today where you'll speak and you'll encourage us and say, you're doing really good in these areas. And God, thank you for encouraging us. And there's places in our life where you'll say, hey, there's an opportunity for change to come in there. And God, I'm so thankful that you sent Jesus who brings life change to us and gives us the power to change things in our lives, Lord. And I just pray that, that you'll uh, gently minister to us in those areas. And so God, just be with our time together in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> So relationships, it's an interesting word, right? And when we say the word relationships, you think of all kinds of different things. You might think of your family uh, relationships. You might think of a friendship, that's a relationship. Um, <clears throat> you might think of a person that you're dating, that's a dating relationship. And then for those of you who are married, there's a marriage, a marriage relationship. 
And oftentimes when we begin to talk about our relationship or when people question us about relationships, they'll ask you like, who's that person? Are you dating? Are you in a relationship with them? And sometimes we use these words, it's complicated. You know, it's just not easy to explain along the way. Like, it, it, yeah, we're not quite dating, but we're, you know, hanging out together and we're not quite exclusive, but we're not seeing any, anybody else. And, and so we begin to talk about our relationships and somebody asks you about your marriage and, and uh, inside your marriage relationship, how are things going with your marriage? And, and you might say, you might not say it's complicated, but you might say it's interesting or it's a little bit challenging right now because sometimes it's hard to really figure out what is the status of our relationship. We don't always have this dashboard like we do in our car that gives us an indicator of what's going on in our relationship perfectly. And so we spend a lot of time working to figure out our relationship. And then sometimes um, we get to a spot and we're like, man, I have no idea. Like as hard as I try, I can't figure this person out. I can't figure where we're at in our relationship if things are really good or really bad or somewhere in between, like I'm just really not sure. Relationships can be complicated. And it reminded me of this story of a, a grandfather who was having breakfast with his granddaughter and they were sitting at the, at the breakfast table and, and they had their food out and the granddaughter was leaning up against her grandpa, loving on him a little bit as they were eating and she was rubbing his arm and pretty soon she got down to his hand and she found his wedding ring and she started playing with his wedding ring, rolling it around and looking at, you know, looking at all the scratches and marks on his wedding ring and she could tell it had been there for a while on his hand. And so like all good grandpas do, right? Everything becomes a teaching moment. Grandpa's like, I'm, I'm gonna get, have the opportunity to teach her something really special that I want her to remember for a really long time. And so he looks at her and goes, hey, sweetie, you see that? That's my wedding ring. And um, that wedding ring, it never, ever comes off my finger. And do you know why? And she goes, no, why, grandpa? And he goes, because I love your Nana so much. And the little girl looked back down at his wedding ring and thought for a moment and looked back up at her grandpa and she goes, but grandpa, Nana takes her wedding ring off all the time. <laughs> and for a moment, grandpa's like, I think I know exactly where my relationship is. But then his granddaughter exposes something that he's like, uh, maybe I don't know the exact status of our relationship along the way. Maybe it's not exactly how I thought. And I think oftentimes inside of our relationships, we can end up in those spots where we have these ideas or these dreams or expectations about what life's gonna be like. And then all of a sudden it doesn't turn out that way. And those relationships that we're going through life with um, uh, begin to have hurt and disappointment, missed expectations inside of it. And we can become angry and bitter towards one another and it changes the dynamic of every relationship. And oftentimes it changes the, dynam the dynamic of our marriage relationship. And so my wife, Tara, and I kind of came to uh, some conclusions a few years ago. We were just kind of going back through our life and, and starting out from where we started and saying, hey, it, you know, what were our dreams? What were our hopes when, when we first started dating? And, and we thought, you know, it doesn't feel like even though we've been married almost 30 years, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago that we met in college on a frozen pond in Ohio. And uh, I wasn't looking for a relationship and she wasn't looking for a relationship but we met up with a bunch of friends and when I saw Tara, I was like, whoa, she is hot. Like I, this girl has got it. Like I really like her. She had blue eyes and blonde hair and, 
and, um, and she was just attractive and she was fun and I thought she had a great personality and I was like, I really like a lot of things about her, but I don't want a relationship, right? I don't, I don't wanna be tied down. I don't wanna have to think about all these things that couples have to think about. And so uh, Tara was the same way. And so what we decided to do is we were just gonna hang out with friends and be friends for a while. And so we did, we hung out and, and we had the same friends and we went and did the same things and we ate out and we went to games together and, and um, we stayed out late and we laughed together and all of a sudden it turned into being friends to, to talking about our dreams together and saying, hey, what would it look like to do these things forever together? And what are some of the things that you dream about? And here are some of the things that I dream about. And pretty soon we began to take our dreams and push them together. And before you knew it, I proposed to Tara, asked her to marry me. And she said yes, because we wanted to chase those dreams down together. And so we we got married and, and, uh, and things were really great for the, the first couple months. Like it was like perfect. It was like, hey, you know, we're living the dream. Like people say that all the time, living the dream, living the dream. Like we had a house and a car and, and we got to do the things we wanted and eat out and spend money where we wanted to spend it. Like we were adulting, we were on our own. We were just living our dreams out together and things were good. But before long, all of a sudden life begins to happen and uh, cancer and, and job change and financial hardship and all those different things. And, and what happens is before long, all of a sudden there's these missed expectations. There's some disappointment that begins to happen. Those dreams that you had envisioned don't quite come true along the way. And you can find yourself in a difficult or challenging spot in your relationship. Like when, when Tara and I were dreaming about getting married, my dream car was this. Zimbit, well, it's not there. Do you recognize that? It's a Lamborghini Countach. It's now, it dates me. It says that I'm pretty old up here, but that car does 200 miles an hour, zero to 60 in like just over 4.0 seconds. And uh, it's got a V12, five-speed transmission. It goes fast. It sits low to the ground. It hugs the road. It growls. The doors pop up. It's got a tubular uh, steel frame on it. And the thing I love about this car is like, it's only got two seats. There's no room for a car seat inside of this car. And so I just envisioned myself, you know, back then I had this black curly hair, it was actually a mullet. And um, I just envisioned myself with the window down, driving down the road with my girl next to me and being really cool. And, and but then uh, after Tara and I got married with all the things that began happening in our life, like we found ourselves with a mortgage. We found ourselves with two kids. We didn't expect to have the two kids and God just kind of blessed us with them. But and then all of a sudden we had different types of job changes happen and things happening in our life. And, and our dreams began to fade. And I ended up not with a Lamborghini, but I ended up with a car like this. <laughs> now, if you have that car, I apologize, but that like nowhere in my life did I dream that I was gonna have this type of car. It's got a four cylinder in it. It goes zero to 60 in probably something like 10 or 15 seconds along the way. There's nothing fancy, no media system, no lane departure, lane mitigation, any of that collision avoidance in it. It is just a plain Jane car to get you from point A to point B. Like I don't even call this a minivan. I don't think it's fair to call it a minivan. I think this is a minivan and a station wagon got together, they mated and had this van a wagon is what I called it along the way. It's nothing what I dreamed. It had nothing to do with my expectations in life, but it's what I got. And 
As Tara and I started going through life, we found ourselves in this season where we had missed expectations and where hurt and bitterness began to pile up inside of our life. I, after we had gotten married several years and getting through cancer, I, I began a job um, that uh, promoted me several different times. I moved companies. The company that I moved to decided to put me on an airplane every Monday and send me back home on Friday. So I was gone for a week at a time. I'd come home, have 24 to 36 hours, turn around, do it again. Apparently, I did such a good job of doing that over four or five months that they decided to send me internationally and I was gone two weeks at a time. And I would uh, come back home and have a little bit of time with the family and turn around and go back overseas. And, um, and so there's just one time where I'm traveling where I, I went to Tara and I said, look, I'm gonna be gone for a week this time. And I have this one thing that hasn't been done. I haven't had time to do it. I need you to do it. Like I'm really, really busy. This needs to get done around the house. Can you take care of this one thing for me, please? This week, don't forget, okay? And she was like, got it. And so I went away and um, I came back home that weekend. And as I pulled into the driveway, I looked at the house and I was like, oh my gosh. Like she didn't do the one thing. Like ask her to do one thing, one thing. Is it too much to ask of one thing? Like I'm really busy, I'm traveling everywhere. She knows how hard my schedule is and how hard I've been working. And it's all to provide for the family and take care of buying a, a minivan or a van wagon. And, um, but she just doesn't see how hard I'm working. She doesn't really care about me. She doesn't care about my feelings or what I need to get done. And she didn't do just one thing. I just asked her to do one thing. And so I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you've had those moments where you've had that realization and it, you just feel the anger get, boil up in your system. And I was like, I'm gonna go in that house and she's gonna get it. And I'm gonna, like, I'm a list guy. I'm a presentation guy. I can argue anything. And so I'm like, I opened the house door. I walked in and I had a six point PowerPoint presentation to her. And I was like, Tara, like, I asked you to do this one thing. You remember I said on this day, you're gonna do this one thing for me. You're gonna get it done because I have all these other things in my schedule. And I laid it all out. She knew exactly how I felt and I was like she's gonna have an aha moment I know it I know it she's gonna go to her knees right now and she's gonna say I am so sorry you're right I was inconsiderate I wasn't thinking about you and all that you've got to do you're working so hard for us I appreciate all that you're doing I'm wrong and so when I got done with my presentation, I looked at her and she didn't raise her voice. She didn't argue. She didn't interrupt the whole time. She just listened to everything that I had to say and when I got done I got the aha moment she looked at me and she said George I'm sorry, you don't know what it's like to be a single parent. And I was like, ugh. Like, that's not fair. Like, like, we're fighting right now and like I'm hitting up here, but you're hitting like below here. That like hurt. Cause like I'm working really hard. I, it's not fun to be on a plane every week and staying in a different hotel and eating strange food and, and working late nights and doing all that to come back and only get this little window of time. But she on the other side was saying, you don't understand what it's like in my life where every single day I'm waking the kids up, feeding them breakfast, changing their clothes, getting them to school, getting them home from school, um, getting them fed, getting their homework done, getting them tucked into bed, going through their devotions together, praying together, praying that daddy will come home safe and taking care of oil changes, laundry, all the other things that I'm taking care of. And you're so mad at me because you wanted that one thing done, but you have no idea what it is that I'm doing every single week. And guess what? I didn't dream of this. This wasn't my dream. And I sat there and it, it caused me to reflect for a little bit and think about my relationship with her. 
Like I could have blown up and gone into an argument, but oftentimes when you point the finger at someone, the old adage is you're pointing three right back at yourself. And so I began to reflect and say, hey, what are the things that I'm doing in my life that's making this relationship difficult? Where am I causing hurt and harm and bitterness and anger into my wife's life? And I began to realize that there are places in um, our relationship where I wasn't living up to the things that she had hoped for. Like one of the things that, that she had hoped for is that we would be side by side, that we would be doing things together in life. And I hadn't been present for a while. And so it was all on her, all the groceries, all the baths, all the time with the kids, scheduling time with friends. And I realized that I just wasn't present. Like one of the great things about relationships is being present. It doesn't matter whether it's a friendship, whether it's a dating relationship or whether you're married. One of the reasons you got married is because you want to spend more time with one another. You want to be with one another. And I wasn't present with her. Like I wasn't there to help her with her problems. I was worried about getting my problems taken care of. You know that I got phone calls at the office. One day I got a phone call and she said, hey, I'm trying to put a pair of tweezers up your son's nose to dig potpourri balls out. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah. She goes, you know those little potpourri balls that were in the dish on the counter? And I said, yeah. I said, what are they doing up his nose? And she goes, he said it smelled good, so he thought he'd shove them up there. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so she's trying to figure out how to fish these out of his nose without having it surgically removed. And um, not too long after that, I get a phone call from her and she's painting our bedroom. And she turned around for just a moment. And when she looked back, our son's got the paint can. He's drinking it like Gatorade. That's a real problem. And she, she's got a can of paint because she doesn't know what's in it. She's, she's got both kids. She's loading up in the car and car seats and she's trucking across town to get to the doctor's office to figure out what we need to do to save our kids' lives. And she's doing it all on her own. And there are these, there's this place where I realized that I wasn't being a spiritual leader for my wife, that there was a day that I stood in front of a pastor and a group of people in front of Tara's parents and I promised Tara that I was gonna be a spiritual leader inside of our house, that I was gonna keep us focused on what God wanted for our family and our life, that Satan or the enemy wasn't gonna distract us or worldly things weren't gonna distract us, that we were gonna live out God's purpose in our life and we were gonna raise our family to know that God loves us so dearly, so deeply, and that he loves them too. And I, I barely made it to church. And I just found in that season that really at the end of the day, I was more concerned with me than I was concerned about her. And all of a sudden it was missed expectation after missed expectation after missed expectation. Hurt began to build and bitterness began to build. And, and we got to a spot where our relationship became really difficult. And I kind of thought about <clears throat> like this picture that every time I was doing these things, like I, I was dropping like dirty laundry, like in, in the house. I don't know if some of you people are this way, but sometimes I'll come in and I'll take my coat off and drop it and I'll take my shoes off and put them somewhere. And, and, uh, and like, if you go into your bedroom, sometimes you have dirty clothes all over the place, but the more dirty clothes that pile up, like the less you kind of want to deal with it. It's like, ah, you know, I'll take care of it later. I'll, I'll deal with it later. They're stinky, they're smelly, um, but you know, I don't have to deal with it right now. I just shut the door, nobody sees it, it goes away, right? 
And it reminded me of a friend of mine came over to our house to run an electrical line. And he, uh, he went downstairs to fish this line up the wall through my daughter's room. And I went up into the attic to catch the line and pull it through. And so I actually had the worst job. He's in air conditioning. I'm up in the attic in August in North Carolina. It's like a hundred and some degrees in the attic. And uh, bald guys, we don't sweat well. Like it just runs down. There's no hair to catch it or anything else. And so I'm, I'm up in the attic and I'm waiting. And like, it's been 15 minutes and there's no, cable. There's no Murph. Murph is my friend that's running the line. And I'm like, I'm getting really angry and upset. I'm getting hot, literally hot and, uh, uh, and, and mentally hot about him not being there. And so I, so finally, all of a sudden I hear the door open and I see Murph at the bottom of the stairs. Now he's a bald guy too, but he wears glasses and his glasses were like shifted sideways on his face. He's pouring down sweat. And I was like, Murph, what in the world is going on? Like you're in air conditioning. You shouldn't be sweating. And he goes, George, have you been in your daughter's room lately? And I'm like, no. And he's like, I open the door and it's a minefield. There is stuff everywhere. There's clothes everywhere, dirty laundry everywhere in the room. And he said, so I looked at it and I was like, it'd be disrespectful to step on that, on her laundry, on her clothes. That's the stuff that she wears. And so I'm trying to pick spots like a frog and hop over her laundry through the room. And he said, I cleared the first pile and I felt pretty good about it. And I said, I got this, I'm going for the second one. And I hopped and I didn't quite clear the pile. And underneath the pile, there's like a high heel shoe. I hit it. It tripped me. I'm going down. As I'm going down, I look in the middle of the floor and there's a cereal bowl coming at my face. And he was like, it's too messy. It's too dirty in there. He says, I don't think I can do it. He said, I almost lost my life the first time. I don't think I can get through her room. And Murph's a Marine. I was like, oh my gosh. But one of the things that I realized inside of my relationship with my wife is that every time I was creating disappointment and hurt, thinking about myself and not thinking about her, that I was just dropping dirty laundry in a room and it was piling up, it was becoming stinky and dirty. And at some point you wanna shut the door and ignore it, but it's the worst thing you can do inside of our relationships. Ignore those things that are piling up. And I just want to bring us back to pictures because sometimes pictures are really good for me to remember something, for it to stick in my mind. And so as I've become a pastor, I've had the opportunity to marry a bunch of people. Um, if you've heard my cancer story, I know a lot of people have been through cancer. One of my very best friends had cancer and he passed away and I had the opportunity to remarry his wife. And so one of the things I loved is um, this uh, lady, Lisa, she comes walking down the aisle with her new, fian or her new fiance at the time to marry him. His name's John. And as they come down, uh, the couple at a wedding come down and they come up the stairs and they don't just stand there and stare at me. They actually turn and face one another like this. This is Lisa and John. And she looks beautiful and, and her husband-to-be there is handsome and they both have, look, they wrote their own vows. Isn't that so sweet? And they, they're ready to pledge their love to one another. But the thing I love about this posture, because our posture in life is really important. The thing I love about this posture is that they're facing one another. And when you're facing one another, every time you're looking, you're looking into the future, what's ahead of you. And when they're looking into the future right now, what do they see? One another. They see one another in their future. It's one of the things I love about weddings is that when they're standing there staring into each other's eyes, repeating their vows before all of us and before God, they're looking into the future with one another in it. And then once they say I do and they give the big kiss, there's the pronouncement of husband and wife and it's the big celebration moment and this becomes her posture, right? She's smiling and excited and he's like, guys, I'm married above my pay grade, I made it. <laughs> but now they're shoulder to shoulder. They're standing side by side and what do they see together? They see the 
the same future together. And they head down the aisle, and that moment they head down the aisle, there's nothing else going through their mind than, yes, we can do this life together. We get to do it together. There's nothing that can stop us for better or for worse till death do us part. Like, we've got this thing. It's gonna be amazing. We have all these dreams and expectations along the way. But then life happens. Job change, work, parents dying, things like that happen in life. There become arguments. There's bitterness that begins to set in. We begin to pile up dirty laundry and we don't clean out the room. We just shut the door. And if we let that happen too long, all of a sudden our posture shifts and it changes and it looks something like this. Where all of a sudden we're back to back. And when you're standing back to back, now when you're looking into the future, what do you see? Not one another. You see the own things, your, your own things, the things that you want to see in life, the things that you want to do in life, the things that you want to accomplish, the things that matter to you, but not to one another. And if you start moving into the future in the direction that you're facing, what would happen with this couple? They would actually begin to separate and get further and further and further apart. And so we can't let dirty laundry pile up in our life. We can't let disappointment, missed expectations, we can't let hurt continue to pile up to the point where we just wanna shut the door. We don't wanna go through and navigate it. We don't wanna lose our life in that room. And so we just shut the door and we forget about it. We begin to walk away into a different direction. Before we know it, we end up breaking one of the most important relationships that God's built for us. That only years before, maybe a few years before, where we stood in front and looked eye to eye and we saw each other in the future and we had all these dreams and big expectations, but now they've disappeared. And so this isn't what God wants for us. And he has a different plan and a different design. And for the next few minutes, I just want to take you to this um, part in Colossians where the apostle Paul lays out a few things for our relationships and let you consider these things and see how they might impact your relationships going forward. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Colossians chapter three, and they'll have these verses up on the screen as well. But we're going to start here in verse five. It says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Do not lie to one another, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of your creator." And so Paul is talking to the church here and he was, he was trying to get them to understand that the lifestyle that they're supposed to be living is supposed to imitate that of Jesus, of that of God, their creator. And he was saying, hey, like, take a look at yourself. At the moment that you say, hey, I believe in who God is, I believe that Jesus died for me and loved me, in that moment, there's this dirt suit that you had on that's really dirty clothes. It's full of anger, it's full of malice, it's full of rage. And it's at this point when you believe in God and you trust in him and begin to follow him that the knowledge of the creator and his love for us will begin to renew our minds and help us to begin to take off those dirty clothes so that we're, we're not fighting unfairly with our spouse or with our girlfriend or with our friends or with our family. And that we take those old things off. And so we're not pushing buttons. We're not saying things to make people mad. We're not saying um, bad or harsh words to people. That we're not angry all of the time. And so the first thing that I want you to think about is that when we believe in Jesus, it's out with the old and in with the new. 
A few weeks ago, I was, uh, I also run a trucking company on the side and um, I, I went to the store to buy a beanie because it was really cold in Kentucky where we have one of our operations. And um, my shoes are always, they always get dirty and greasy. Like truck drivers have a tough job. And, <clears throat> um, and so I walked into the store and I'm kind of embarrassed because all these cool new shoes are up there. And I found these shoes, the shoes that I have on today. And I was like, man, they're clean, they're white. They're like a tan gray color. And I'm like, I really like those. And, when I tried them on, I liked them so much. When you put the new shoes on, what do you want to do with the old shoes? Like you put them in a box and hide them, throw them away, get rid of them. They become the uh, lawn mowing shoes or something like that, you know? And so I just want you to think about like when we've believed in Jesus, we put away the old clothes and we're looking to put on new clothes. The next part that Paul says is in um, chapter 12, it says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so the second part of that is that the best relationships require the best clothes. The best relationships require the best clothes. Last year at this time, my wife and I were invited to go to this thing called the Barefoot Gala. And it's in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's for a charity, a nonprofit. And their goal is to put 10 million pairs of shoes on 10 million kids in 10 years. And there's kids all over the world that don't have shoes and they're getting ground-born or earth-born diseases, parasites into their systems and it's shortening their lifespan. And so at the gala, you get all dressed up, but nobody wears shoes in the middle of November. And it's not as cold as Canada, but it's pretty cold to go barefoot. And it's a good reminder, right? That we're making sacrifices so that kids in other places can have shoes. And so uh, it's a formal event, a gala. And my wife and I, we really haven't been dressed up fancy, fancy since our wedding. And so we were excited to go. I went and got measured for a tux and she bought an evening gown. And, uh, you know, we get to the house and, and uh, she goes into, we go to two separate bathrooms because this is going to be some work for us to both get ready. And uh, I get done in like 30 minutes because like bald guys don't have a whole lot to work with, with hair and gel and all those other things. But she was in the bathroom for well over an hour. And I'm like, what in the world? Come on, like we're going to be late and it's taken forever. But the moment that she opened the door, I was like, man, it was worth every minute of it. She is beautiful. That's my girl. I get to go to the gala with her. Like uh, everybody's going to be jealous. Like she's going to be the best looking person. And we look great as a couple. And when we dressed our best, we felt our best. We went, we had so much fun. We had such a great night. It, it was like a fresh start in so many different ways. And so in this passage, what Paul is saying is that when you take off those old duds, when you get rid of those old and dirty clothes, that you're going to put on these best clothes that have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. And when you put on those type of clothes and you have relationships with other people, friendships, family, or marriages, that you begin to imitate what God looks like to us. That the look that you're putting on is God's look to each one of us, that God's gentle with us, that God's patient with us, that God's kind to us along the way. And so we have to get rid of the old clothes and put on new clothes. And then the next part that Paul um, says is, uh, in verse 13, it says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so the third thing I want you to think about is to live in the best relationships, we have to be willing and able to forgive. And forgiveness is one of the hardest things. 
especially when you're in the middle of a fight or argument because you felt like you've been wronged and hurt in so many different ways. In the last three years, I've been hurt the deepest I've ever been hurt by uh, friends in my life. And it's been a deep, deep betrayal. Like, have you ever been betrayed? Do you ever feel like you've been betrayed by somebody? It hurts because you trusted them. You gave yourself, you gave trust to them and they betrayed that trust, they broke it. And so now you don't know whether they're ever gonna keep the trust again and you don't know why they heard it and you kept up your end of the deal, but they didn't keep up their end of the deal. And so as I've been going through this season trying to figure out what, how God would have me to respond to it, he brought me to this passage in the New Testament where it says on the night that Jesus uh, was betrayed, betrayal, it says that he gathered his closest friends, his followers, his disciples together in a room, and he's gonna have a meal with them. And when he got into the room, he picked up a basin and a towel and he went around the room and he knelt down and he began to wash their dirty feet and care for them. It's a sign of humility, a sign of love, a sign of service. And he worked his way all the way around the room. And when he got to the end of the room, the scripture says that um, everybody's feet had been washed, but not everyone was clean because the very person, one of the very people that he cared for and that he served and that he loved inside of that room was getting ready to turn him over to the cross to be crucified. And it didn't change the fact that Jesus still washed his feet, that Jesus still served and cared for him along the way. And this picture of Jesus dying on the cross for us, like we basically what sin is, is we turned our back. We went back to back with God and said, God, we're going a different direction. We have our own ideas, our own plans, our own ways of accomplishing things. I think I know better than you. I think I can do life on my own without you. And we separated ourselves from God. And so God, he didn't wait for us to say, hey, I'm sorry, and then send Jesus to cancel that debt for us. He went ahead and sent Jesus to die on the cross for us first, to offer and extend forgiveness to everyone. And it's the moment that we accept that forgiveness. When we say, I receive that forgiveness, I repent, I'm sorry, God, for the things I've done wrong. It starts the reconciliation process. It removes all the wrongs and allows us to see God back in our future together where we can see him face to face and listen to the very best that he has for us and go through life with God and have that right relationship with him. And the hard part for us is that oftentimes before we offer forgiveness, we want someone else to say, I'm sorry. Like that day when I gave it to Tara, I wanted the words, I'm sorry, to come out of her mouth before I was gonna say, I forgive you. It's hard. It's hard to offer forgiveness and know that the other person may not ever say they're sorry. There may be people in here that are divorced, have gone through broken marriages and have gotten to the spot and still hold bitterness and anger against other people. And they're like, there's no way that I can forgive them. They'll never ever say they're sorry. Well, that's the picture that Jesus gave to us that he extended forgiveness without the sorry coming first. And so if we're gonna have healthy relationships that reflect the image of God into the world around us, if we're gonna be able to go face to face and shoulder to shoulder with the person that God's put in our life, then we have to be willing to say, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. And we don't always expect the sorry. Sometimes the sorry never comes. And then sometimes the sorry does come. 
And when the sorry does come, it opens up that door for reconciliation where it basically reconciles. It takes the wrong out of the gap, right? Where you can see each other clearly again. And it gives you the opportunity for restoration inside of your relationships that allow you to turn shoulder to shoulder and to move through life together the way that God intended it. And so Paul, in the last part of this passage, he says this, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And the fourth thing I wanna leave you with is in all relationships, the most important ingredient is love. Love. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus who extended forgiveness to anyone who's willing to accept it. And so that person that we stood on a stage or under an arbor or at the justice of the peace or wherever it is that you got married, that person, you loved them. You wanted to enter into a relationship. You wanted to attack the future together. Love binds us together. It gives us the strength to say, I forgive. And it gives us the strength to say, I'm sorry. And it's in those moments where we can be one with our father and our relationships, imitating the God relationship to us with one another. And I think it's in those places when the world sees those types of marriages, those types of friendships, those types of relationships that they say, hey, there's something different about that. That couple is different. They go through hard times. They've been through sickness. They've been through illness. I know things haven't been easy. I know things have been difficult in their life. They're not screaming and yelling at each other. They don't treat each other um, in abusive ways. And somehow they have joy. They have a smile on their face and they're still doing it together. Like it's not often anymore that we hear people being married for 50, 60 years. But through the love of God and forgiveness, we all have the opportunity to have those type of relationships. Let me pray for us. God, we come before you today and we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, God, for how you work inside of our lives. And Lord, I just wanna take a minute and I know that there's hurt in the room. All morning, I've heard stories of hurt and pain and missed expectations and disappointments inside relationships. And God, so right now, I just, I know there's names coming to people's mind. This person's hurt me. This person's betrayed me. This person has cheated on me. This person has lied to me. And Lord, whatever names are coming to mind right now, I just pray for the strength and the courage for the people in this room to be able to say, I forgive. God, to take the forgiveness that you've extended to them and with love in their heart and their eyes, as difficult as it may be, say, I forgive. And Lord, it may be that they have to do it minute by minute and day by day. Maybe it'll stretch out to week by week. But Lord, I just pray that you give them the strength to forgive and to let it go. In Jeremiah, you say that you'll forgive people of their wickedness and remember it no more. I pray God for the strength to be able to forgive and remember it no more. And God, there are people in the room today that are saying, hey, this forgiveness thing, it sounds good. And I I think I understand what you're saying, but maybe you just haven't experienced real forgiveness yourself. That 
time of being back to back with God and walking in your own direction, trying to do things your way and running from him and, and going a different direction that you would just stop and say, God, like I, I haven't experienced that deep love that you care for me so much that everything that I've done wrong, that you're willing to stand in the gap and remove all those wrongdoings from my life and take those old clothes off where I'm angry and bitter and upset. <clears throat> and put new clothes on me of gentleness, kindness, and compassion. And so if that's you, would you just pray this simple prayer? God, forgive me for running from you. God, I don't wanna do it on my own anymore. I want you to lead me in life. I wanna experience your love, your kindness, and your compassion. You forgive me. His forgiveness is extended, but it's the moment where you repent that the reconciliation happens and your relationship with God is restored. And now you're in a journey doing life with our creator, the one who made you, who put life in your lungs. And your journey will look much different. And even though there may be hardship ahead, you'll be doing it together with the king of the universe. God, I'm thankful for Southside Church and God, what you're doing here and each person and each family, I pray your blessing over each one of them. God, I pray that this will be the most amazing week ahead of them. And God, we look forward to this fourth service and reaching new people for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, can we just celebrate people who made decisions today? That's amazing. No matter what decision you made along the way, whether it's choosing to forgive someone or if you're still considering it, just continue to pray to God and let him guide and direct your steps in action. Hey, here's the last thing I wanna leave you with before you guys go, is that fourth service is a big deal. I know you're looking around saying, hey, there's still more seats here. I don't wanna move along the way, but there are people that you've invited to Southside who said, no, 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 no. And some of them are like, I just wanna sleep in. I wanna take it easy on Sunday morning. Well, guess what? You haven't invited them to a 1230 service yet. And they might, it might be the one where like it fits their sleep habits, it fits their brunch schedule. And finally, when you ask them, they might say yes. So, hey, let's give it a try. Like go over there, turn one of those light bulbs and say, I'll sit a service. I'll invite a friend for a service or say, hey, you know what? I'll serve a service. I just come to this service all the time, but I haven't served at a service. So I'll stay a little bit later and serve in the next service along the way because we have to go out. We have the opportunity, but there's a huge responsibility that God's given us to go reach Chilliwack. And it's a great one. I hope you guys have a great week. We love you guys and we'll see you soon, all right? <clears throat> Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you at any of our three Sunday services held at Sardis Secondary School on Stevenson Road in Chilliwack, British Columbia. For more information, please visit southsidelife.com.